Is there a holy compassion deep down in your soul? I mean, are you willing to make the situation of someone else your own, no matter the inconvenience and or struggle? And are you willing to forgive anyone for any sin that they have committed against you? Is there a holy compassion deep down in your soul? We've been traveling through the Sermon on the Mount in a series called Upside Down Living. And today we are looking at the fifth beatitude found in, uh, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Uh, the scripture that goes in conjunction with this Certain attitude is found in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, where it says, Be merciful just as your father is also merciful. The truth is, if if you're in this room and you happen to know who Christ is, you are a beneficiary of God's rich and amazing grace found in Christ from God that you know what it means to experience his his rich mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, uh, uh, he has for us, made made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. That even before knowing Christ and being dead to God through sins, God being rich in his mercy, he quickened our spirits. Though dead to the things of God, dead to God's goodness, he, in his mercy, he quickened our souls to worship a living and true God. It is because we have have experienced the supernatural mercy that we can extend it to others. We can extend it to others because we've experienced it from the Father of mercies. Today, I'm going to read for you Matthew 5, verses 1 through 7. And my prayer is that we'll see the, the how important it is for us to have deep compassion, how that plays out in being merciful. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 7, the word of God reads this way. When he saw the crowds, that's Jesus, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Bless all the poor spirit, for the kingdom of God or, or, or heaven is theirs. Bless are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Bless are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. There are three words in the Greek and English similar way, and that is mercy, pity, and compassion. And though they're used in a similar way, God, he takes this word mercy and he says not only does it mean to have pity or to have compassion, no, no, it's to have uh, have pity and compassion with action. 
The third an action there that comes out of this word uh, 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 merciful. And so it only denotes a feeling, but, but this feeling should lead to actions. I ask you again, is there a holy compassion deep down in your soul? What, what we're going to see this morning is how this word mercy or merciful plays out in two different ways. How in one, when we are merciful, there is a physical need that we meet and there is a spiritual act that we do. That when we're saying that we are, that we are being merciful, there are two things that should d- derive from this. So we're going to look at, more, look at Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at a known parable called the Good Samaritan. Now, a parable is simply something that is cast alongside. It has been described this way, as, a heavenly, as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Like God, he's trying to tell some kind of earthly story to, to, to pinpoint a spiritual meaning from heaven. And so we find in this good Samaritan uh, around Luke, 20, uh, Luke 10, verses 24 and 25, we, we, we found this expert in the law trying to question Christ who made the law. He's trying to outwit the one who put the law forward. And so he asked Christ, man, what can one do to inherit eternal life? And then Christ asked him, so what does the law say? And this man, and and this expert in the law, he actually gets it right. He says, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Christ commensurate. He says, if you do this, you will have life. But then this expert in the law he wants to get smart and ask him, a, uh, ask him a different question, but it says trying to justify himself. He asked the question to Christ, who then is my neighbor? And in verse 30 of Luke 10, Christ, he responds with this. Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, and fell among uh, the hands of robbers. Uh, they stripped him and beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, here it is, he had to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So you see, two religious people identified in the text a Levi and a priest. 
And these are religious people who know the law but lack the love called from the law. They can quote you the first five books of the Bible and yet fail to love in a meaningful way. See, religion allows you to know what to do, but it lacks a it lacks the relationship needed to do what the Bible says do. And the expert asking him, man, how do you uh, how do you receive eternal life? He's trying to answer this through through the story. He's saying that man, man, to have eternal life is to also to love your neighbor as yourself. See, when 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 we have eternal life and we claim that we know that we love God and and then from that that we are to love the neighbors as ourselves as a Christian as sons as kids and as daughters of God we should we we should move with compassion the the Bible says that the Samaritan was on his journey the Samaritan set aside his personal schedule, his personal journey, and his personal agenda to meet the need of the one who was left dead. See, when you have experienced the mercy and you enjoy a relationship with Jesus, you are sensitive to the leading of the Spirit and you are willing to have compassion for those who are in need. Jesus asked the expert of the law, but but so he was an expert of the law, but not but not an expert in love. He asked of the Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan, which one was your neighbor? Verse 36: Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And look what he says in verse 37. The one who showed mercy to him. Jesus equated meeting the needs of the one being stripped and left dead as showing mercy to him. See, how can we experience the mercy of God and not extend it to those who are in need? Now, I'm saying that we should use wisdom when we do this, but there should be a, a willingness to set aside our agenda, our schedule, when we see a genuine need of somebody who's been, who, who's been, the, uh, 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 who's been the victim of sin or is suffering from the effects of sin, our job as, as sons and daughters of God is to meet those, those physical needs of those who have a need. Jesus is teaching in this parable that when we offer relief to those who are suffering, we are showing God's pity with action to mankind. Whether, it's be, whether it be sickness, poverty, death, or any form of brokenness, it should amaze us that we get to administer God's soothing touch of mercy to those in need. 
He said that, that to have eternal life is to love God. Here it is, to love those in need as yourself. The Samaritan treats the man left half dead as he would treat his own self. That's, that, that is what somebody who has inherited eternal life would be about. We would be about showing compassion, showing Jesus mercy involved pity or compassion with action. Being merciful also involves forgiveness. Let me say this. The first and greatest expression of mercy is God's forgiveness of our sins and bringing us into his kingdom. Like, we should never get used to that. That the greatest act, the greatest benefit of us receiving his mercy, that meant we've, that we have been made healed and we've entered into God's kingdom. So what God's going to do now in Matthew chapter 4, Christ in the same book, he's going to show us what it means to be merciful in a different light. Now, when you turn your, your Bible's all device to Matthew 18, uh, this is called the, the parable of the wicked servant. Now, let me give you some context for this parable. Peter has just asked Christ, how many times should I forgive a brother? Seven times? That's verse 21. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Essentially, Peter, as often as you are sinned against, you should forgive more. Jesus tells this, this parable and answering Peter's question to give Peter some, man, Peter, let me give you a bigger picture of, of what you're asking me. So here you have Christ telling this again parable, trying to, trying to bring home a spiritual truth that every Christian should get. So he tells the parable of a master collecting debts owed to him by his servants. And in verse 27, it says this. He finds a, so he finds a servant that owes him uh, 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 in our day, it'd be six, it'd be six million dollars. He finds a servant that owes him 10,000 denarii. Again, to us today, that is $6 million. And so he calls in the servant, and the servant, he begins to, to plead that, man, would you please forgive me of my debt? Will you please wipe my debt clean? Verse 27 says, then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him of the loan. It was because that the masters of the master's compassion that he forgave the debt of the servant. But check out the response of the servant who was given, who was forgiven $6 million today. 
Uh, if you read down further in that same chapter, it says in verse 28, the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. $12,000 today. He's been forgiven six million. Found the guy that, that owes him 12,000. And, and the Bible says this dude grabbed him started to choke him and said, pay me what you owe. How, you've just been forgiven $6 million, and I owe you 12, 12 Gs, and you're choking me? You're grabbing me? It says, sure, it says, sure, pay what you owe. Y'all, listen to this. Verse 29, and this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me. The same words that he said to the other master, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But look at verse 30. It says, but he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what he owed. This guy pleaded for his life, but the servant was unwilling to forgive his debt. Let me put this out here and be real in the room for a minute. I know that forgiveness sometimes can be a struggle. That forgiving people are hard. It can be difficult. It can be uh, a struggle. And so we find ourselves pleading for God to help us to forgive this person of, uh, 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 for the sin that they committed to me or, or, or towards me. The point of the parable is that, man, all of us are 10,000 uh, denarii sinners, that we have sinned towards God in some way, in word, thought, Deed a motive. We all owe God six million dollars. And God is saying, because I have forgiven you, you should also forgive others. I would even say this. If you are unwilling to forgive anyone of any sin, I question, have you really experienced or, or do you really uh, Appreciate the mercy of God in forgiving you. Look at the so so here you got this guy who who was unwilling to forgive no matter what. I don't care what my master forgave me if I am not going to forgive this person for this. And the Bible says in verse 32, look what Christ said about this servant. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt, but you, because you begged me. Look at verse 33. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on the fellow servant as I had mercy on you? He's equating forgiveness with mercy. As earlier, he equated meeting someone else's need as mercy or, or being compassionate. Whenever we forgive somebody, we exercise the mercy of God in us and through us 
to someone else. And when we don't forgive, we clog up God's mercy in us. And, and maybe God has said, if you, if, if you don't forgive, so here's the question. Are you saved? If you're not willing to forgive, struggling with forgiveness, I'm questioning, are you saved? And you say, man, why should, how can you say that from the text? Look what it says in verse 35. He takes a story, a parable, and now he makes it real in verse 35. So also my heavenly father would do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother and sister from your heart. Forgiveness does not grant you salvation. Forgiveness Forgiveness is, is evidence that you're saved. It doesn't grant, it, it doesn't warrant you being saved, but it proves that you are saved. I ask the question, is there someone in your life now you are unwilling to forgive? That you are unwilling to forgive of the debt the hurt, the pain that caused you. When we ourselves cause God hurt and pain every day. There's not a day that passes by that each of us don't sin in word, deed, thought, or motive. And God, he still forgives. Look at those last three words of verses. Forgiveness is just not lip service. It's soul service. Forgiveness comes from one who knows from the depth of the soul they've been forgiven by God. And when we forgive, man, we exercise the mercy and grace and goodness of God to others. Now, there are four things that we should promise when we do forgive. Let me just let me just state these four things that we should put into if we said that we have forgiven somebody, these things should be evident. Number one, when we are when we say we forgive somebody, we are promising not to dwell on the incident. If you forgave somebody on Monday, why are you still tripping on Friday? If you forgave somebody Monday, why it's been two years and you still try to avoid them? If you have truly forgiven, you would not dwell on the incident. Number two, if you have truly forgiven, you are promising not to bring up the incident again and to use it against them. If I forgave you on Monday, why am I still talking to you about it on Wednesday? If I forgave you, why am I holding it and keeping it until you do it again and all of it comes up again? That is not forgiveness. We are promising not to bring up this incident again and use it against the one who sinned against us. Number three, when we forgive, we are promising not to talk to others about it. 
if I forgave you on Sunday, why am I calling homeboy on, on, on Monday night? Hey, man, this dude here, man, just, man, you know, you know, or, hey, man, see this, see this, see this. I mean, if you really forgive, if you really have forgiven, you will not bring it up to anybody else but God. Unless you are truly struggling and you're calling somebody, hey, I'm just struggling with forgiving this person of this sin. Pray for me. Not as a form of gossip, but really seeking prayer for that. Lastly, that when we, when we are forgiving, we are promising not to let the incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship with the other person. If I forgive you, I'm saying that the sin that you did against me, I'm saying it's done. So however God deems for this thing to be reconciled, I'm ready for it. I'm ready. However God deems to make this thing the way, if it's not the way it was, how is God saying we need to reconcile because I've truly forgiven you? And, and, and what you sin and how you sin against me, I'm not holding it against you anymore. So I'm seeking that God would truly reconcile us in a way that brings him glory and does good to our soul. I like what a guy like Ken, uh, Ken Sandy uh, 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 wrote a book on forgiveness, and he says this. By forgiving others, you can to dwell all that stand between you and your offender. You promise not to dwell or to brood over the problem or to punish by holding the person at a distance. You clear the way for your relationship to develop unhindered by memories of past wrongs. Why? Because this is exactly what God does for us. And, it's what, and it is what he calls us to do for others. There's probably nothing more glorifying to God that his sons and daughters, here it is, forgiving others just as he forgave us in Christ. When we're saying that we are being merciful, we're saying I'm willing, I'm willing to extend the mercy given to me. So when we say that we are being merciful, we are meeting the needs of our neighbors those who are left in a miserable condition caused by sin or, or uh, their sin or them been sinned by others. If I'm going to say I'm going to practice what God has been to me, I'm going to practice forgiving as God has forgiven me in Christ. And he says, for those who do this, for they, they will be shown mercy at the end. Now, Jude 20, and, Jude 20 and verse 21 says this. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. True eschatology, that is true, like, 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 like knowing what the Bible says about end times keeps our, keeps our reality now in focus. 
the mention in Jude of God's mercy, it actually reminds us all that salvation is never a matter of doing good works. It's never a matter of doing good. It is, it is, it is that we trust in the work and person of Jesus Christ for eternal life. There is a fuller and more complete reality of mercy to come while we enjoy it now on earth. When we stand before God and we enter into God's kingdom, we're going to experience mercy in a whole new way. That, that, that how we experience mercy now, that when we, that, that when we actually stand before the king, that when we actually stand be, before Christ and he lets us in the kingdom, mercy should flood our souls. God, I only got through because of your mercy. So God, because that's true in the future, let me now Practice being merciful now. Give me a heart to meet the needs of those who physically have a need. Give me the compassion, God, to meet those who, who truly, God, have sinned against me. Help me, God, to forgive them. In 1975, the, the, the United States, they built and sent this ship called Mercy. It was a hospital ship, and its sole job was to travel around the world and help those who even suffer, who, who either suffered from a natural disaster or war. This ship, it served millions of people. Even times where the ship was sent to, to countries that were not friendly to the U.S., but still the U.S., Dispense, they sent uh, the ship out of no charge to care for those who are in need. I am glad to be, I'm glad to belong to a country that sends out a mercy ship to help those in time of needs. But I stand even now rejoicing more so that God who created the world and loved the world so much that over 2,000 years ago, he sent his only and begotten son to the world to die of the sins for the world so that those of the world will be saved and made vessels of mercy around the world to extend his mercy in the world, no matter the condition, physical or spiritual. We have experienced mercy to extend mercy. As we live upside down on earth, may we extend the mercy to all for the glory of God. Let us pray. God of all comfort and Father of all mercies, we thank you and we praise you that, 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 that for all of your grace and mercies we receive in Jesus. It is because of your mercy that we are even able now to even worship you, Father. Pastor, I beseech you by the, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. It's only because of your 
mercies, God, that, we are, that we're able to worship you, Father. God, will you please help us? Help us, God, to be merciful. Help us to extend such a mercy that's been extended to us for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.